I have really enjoyed our time of worship this morning um, because we've been able to hear stories of how God's been moving and what God's been doing. And we've been hearing about how um, God's come through for people. Um, and I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. Do you find that encouraging? You hear about God coming through? Yeah, he, he answers prayer. And for me, as a, as a pastor, um, I love to hear your stories of, um, of faith in Jesus, about the way you've stepped out in faith for Jesus, um, because it's encouragement for me to know that you guys are, are, are stepping up, stepping out. You've got this real relationship with Christ, and you're, you're stepping out to do what he's calling you to do. Another thing I love um, is to hear the stories of your love for one another, the stories of where someone's been without and you've stepped in to provide. The stories where someone can't cope with, um, has got too much on their plate to deal with a particular thing at home, and the church has stepped up and stepped in to show love for one another as brothers and sisters. It's encouraging to hear those things, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we hear these stories, oh, so-and-so's done this, that's amazing. And I, I love to hear how Jesus is at work in your lives as well where he's setting you free, or where he's bringing provision, or where he's inspiring you to new things, to new works, to new ways of reaching out to people, to new ways of serving and loving other people. Um, I love to hear all these things because it's inspiring, it is encouraging, and because it's a sign that we're grasping hold of the truth of the gospel at a deeper level. It's a sign we're going deeper with Jesus. Now, we are in our Because of Jesus series, uh, looking at the book of Ephesians. And like me, Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was excited to hear all about the faith of the people at the church in Ephesus, how the church was living out their faith and living out the truth of the mystery of the gospel. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23 together. If you've got a proper Bible, then please do grab that and and find the passage, or if you've got it on your phone, jump in there as well. This morning, I'm doing things slightly differently for me, um, because I'm reading from the NIV. Um, Normally, when I'm preaching, I'll preach from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, um, rather than the NIV, which is the New International Version. There's a reason for this, and it's because sometimes the translation, the ESV, can be a little bit tricky to get our heads around whereas the NIV seeks to translate more the thoughts of what the text is saying, which on this occasion is quite useful. Um, Some of you might still be trying to find the passage, so I'm going to just give a brief excursion into our Bibles and what we're reading reading and what sort of things we think about when we're reading. Um, Some Bible translations are more word-for-word translations, so it's more direct in that sort of way, so the English Standard Version or the King James or New King James or the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, or New American Standard, they're more direct translations word-for-word, but some translations are more translating the thought of what's being said, kind of like the New International Version, the NIV, which we're using today, or the New Living Translation. Um, Now, good translations of the Bible have a team of scholars who are understanding the original languages of the Bible, have good understanding of the original language of the Bible, and they seek to make it um, understandable to the contemporary reader, to you and me. They all seek to be accurate in accordance to their philosophy of translation, whether that's more direct word for word or more thought for thought. Um, 
Now, there are some translations, such as the Passion Translation, which were translated by a single person. One person sat down, read the original languages, and translated it. Now, in my view, and I'd go as far to say as the view of this church, um, is that we'd happily trust translations done by a team of scholars, um, but single translator versions of the Bible can sometimes be a useful reference or give us a perspective, but I wouldn't trust them in the same way as I would something like the English Standard Version or the NIV, um, which is done by a team of scholars. Um, most translations that you guys are reading um, are perfectly fine. If you do ever wonder what translation to read, or am I reading an okay translation or whatever, we encourage you to come and chat to someone who preaches regularly, um, or chat to one of the elders, because I promise you we will have an opinion on it. Um, <laughs> um, and so if you, do, if you are wondering, just come and chat to someone, and we'll happy, happily guide you and help. Um, but what's most important is that we are actually in the Bible, reading it regularly, um, so it's really important that we find a translation that we find accessible that we can understand and we can get our heads around uh, and are supporting us individually. Okay, slight excursion over. Um, right, Ephesians 1, uh, verse 15 to 23, says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When we approach the Bible, we come and we have to ask God this question, what are you saying here? What are you revealing about yourself or about me, and what do you want me to do because of it? Those of you who are in life groups recognize this is something that we do week in, week out in our life groups. So we're going to pray together now. We're going to ask God that question. Um, we're going to pray that God will do, as Paul writes in this passage, and open the eyes of our hearts that we may know what God wants to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came and you lived your life and you revealed truth about who you are, who God the Father is, and who the Holy Spirit is, and what you do in our lives. I pray, Lord, that this morning our eyes would be opened to the truth of what you have done for us, and that we might know fully the power of God that is toward us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it seems to be really important to Paul that the church at Ephesus knows that he is thankful for the faith in Jesus that the believers there have demonstrated amongst one another. It's exciting to Paul because it shows that their faith is genuine and their faith is proven. Over the summer, we looked at the fruits of the Spirit, and for Paul, there is joy discovered in the fact that their love for one another comes from an overflow of having been inwardly changed through the working of the Holy Spirit. 
The kind of Christian love these believers were demonstrating was the kind of love that only someone who has been changed inwardly by having that seal on their hearts of their salvation and the Holy Spirit in them. It's the only way that love can be outworked because he has changed them. These believers in Ephesus had received the Holy Spirit and their acts of love proved that God, the Holy Spirit, resided within them. If the Holy Spirit was in them and affecting their behavior, then they truly were those who had been predestined, as Neil shared last week. They had heard the call of God, they had responded through faith in Christ, and their salvation in Christ was secure. They were living out of this truth, out of this reality. And for anyone who understands some of the mystery of the gospel of salvation, this is incredibly exciting. When someone's life is changed through coming to faith in Jesus, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and their life is never the same again, this is a miracle of God. Salvation, every salvation moment is a miracle because we weren't able to do it ourselves. We couldn't bring ourselves, we couldn't psych ourselves up to salvation. It's a work of God in our lives and we respond in faith. Paul's experience on the Damascus Road was nothing short of miraculous. On the road, he encountered this blinding light as he met with Jesus and then his eyes were opened once he reached Damascus. Now, I haven't heard of anyone here with that sort of salvation story where you're walking down the road one day and Jesus appeared to you and um, your eyes were shut up and you were blinded and then someone came and laid hands on you and scales fell from your eyes. I haven't heard of anyone having that story. But every salvation story is just as miraculous because we can't do this ourselves. It is an act of the living God at work in our inmost being. So, Paul loved hearing about the faith of these believers because they were living out of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, knowing they were set aside for salvation in Christ. And Paul is encouraged so much by this that he praises God for them in his prayers, and he goes on praying for them to know more of God. I was listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones this week in his sermon on Ephesians 1.18, and he He talks about how believers, as believers, we can get caught up in the idea that once we're saved, we've had that miraculous experience or that moment of salvation where we know that we know that we are followers of Jesus, that we are in Christ. We can feel like we've just done that and now, fantastic, life resolved. That's all I need to do. Nothing else matters, so we're saved now, so we just get on with living our lives and do what we want get on with it, and that's it. We just float through life seeking the fulfillment of earthly desires until we die, and then we can enjoy eternity with Jesus. Um, It's great. You know, our faith requires nothing of us. At least that's the way we might find ourselves thinking. It's not true. Um, Paul doesn't desire that kind of life for these believers, And this is a challenge for us today as well. Paul prays for the Ephesians that God may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know him better, praying that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. Paul asked God that they might grow in their knowledge of God through the work of the Holy Spirit and giving them wisdom and revelation. Now, this isn't just about knowing more about God, although it is helpful with the more important point, which is knowing God better. Whenever we consider our salvation, it's good for us to remember that we're always looking at relationship with God, not just relationship to God, our position of relationship to God. Paul's desire is that believers at Ephesus would know God better 
and at the very depths of their being. When the Bible talks about um, you know, open the eyes of their hearts, it's like our most inmost being. The very deepest level. And that's Paul's prayer that these Ephesians and us today would know God, the love of God and have a, uh, be fully aware of what he has done for us. It's really easy to live a superficial life with God, but it's not a fruitful one. Let's seek that God's Holy Spirit would help us to go deep in our understanding of God so that we might know him better. True love isn't dictated by head knowledge alone, but by the knowledge that we possess at the very depths of our being. And this is the knowledge the Holy Spirit reveals to us as he opens up the eyes of our hearts. As elders, it's our desire that each of us who call BFC home lives, live lives that are growing in depth of relationship with God and lives that discover more deeply day by day the security of the hope to which God calls us. We gather each week and we talk about how the church is going and we pray for the church and we do that together when we gather and individually as well. We know about, when we know about the good and the bad stuff going on in everyone's lives, we pray for you guys so that you might discern God's will for you and we intercede for you so that you might see God work his power in your life. I'm guessing, but I'm pretty sure your life group leaders are doing the same as well. As a church, let's resolve to be those who are praying for wisdom and revelation for one another. Let's intercede for one another so that we see God's power at work in our lives. Now, Paul goes on, and he's wonderfully specific about the three things that he prays for. If you're reading a more direct translation, like the English Standard Version or the King James, you'll notice that it says, what are or what is, three times, outlining what Paul's prayer is for these believers. These three things are the hope to which Christ has called you, the riches of God's, of God's inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power that is towards us who believe. So remember we prayed earlier, we said, God, what do you want to say to us about this? And I think this is um, three key points. He wants God, to, Paul, Paul prays that he, for God to reveal the hope to which God has called you. This is pretty much what Neil shared last week, that we should know the assurance of our salvation, the fact that our hope of salvation is discovered in his calling rather than our own work, because our own work will always be insufficient. There is no hope in our own work and our own efforts. We can be secure in salvation. It's about his call, not our actions or works. And because it comes down to God's call, it means that our hope is found in God rather than in us which is great for me because I am particularly hopeless, left to my own devices. But in Christ, we all have hope. Secondly, Paul wants us to know our identity as the inheritance of God. The passage says that he wants believers to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Or as the ESV puts it, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, this is a passage that I haven't found simple to understand, but through reading a bit more widely, it seems that his glorious inheritance has throughout Scripture referred to God's people. In Deuteronomy 9, verse 29, Moses speaks of Israel as the inheritance or the heritage of the Lord. And later on in the books of Samuel, in the life of David and kings, Israel as the people of God are referred to as the same, the inheritance or the heritage of the Lord. And now, in Ephesians, Paul uses this same language to speak of Christian believers. If we are grafted in as the people of God, 
then we too are his inheritance. And not only are we God's inheritance, you know, I don't know, um, you, can, you can look around and, and, you know, when you're my age and think, oh, you know, there's my mum and my dad and um, I'm, I'll probably get a bit of it, I might get a bit of an inheritance from them. Um, but when I look, I'm going, you know, I, I, I'm really hoping that they live a good life and they um, look after themselves and so on. But I'm probably not going to get a great inheritance. Um, but what Paul says about us is that Christ isn't getting a lame, nothing inheritance. He's getting a rich and glorious inheritance. And that rich and glorious inheritance is us. It's those of us who believe. One commentator said, Paul wants his readers to know how deeply God values and cherishes them. They are God's incredibly valuable and glorious inheritance. As an earthly king values treasuries full of silver and gold, God values his people as his wealth and honor. I don't know how you feel about being classed as part of a rich and glorious inheritance, but this is how God sees us. We are his people. We are his inheritance. I want you all to turn to the person next to you and say, you are God's rich and glorious inheritance. Come on, let's turn. I want to hear some noise. bit awkward, but never mind, you know. It's, but it's the truth. You are God's rich and glorious inheritance. If you're a believer here today, that is you. Paul wants us to know how deeply God values and cherishes you. He wants you to know how deeply God values and cherishes you. He, and this might be hard for some of us to hear, but sometimes the truth is hard to hear. God loves you. He values you. He cherishes you. You are valuable to God. The third part of Paul's prayer is that he wants us to know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. I was amazed by the boldness of Justin Welby at the state funeral a couple of weeks ago. He was really bold in sharing the truth of the gospel to what was probably about three billion people around the world watching from home. Amazing testimony, amazing testimony to the life of the Queen and, um, and her faith. You know, it's, it's generally recognized that every day she would kneel at the side of her bed and she would pray. She had a real living relationship with God. But what's been interesting is the response of people after. It, some people I've chatted to has kind of been like, well, wasn't it nice for her faith and devotion to be shared? And that, that to me, nice is like a no. If you're writing an English exam, don't write nice. It doesn't help. It's a bit of a pathetic word, unless you're describing a biscuit. Um, you know, when people say something is nice, it's like you just want to write down "could try harder." Um, Paul doesn't let us gloss over the power of the gospel and the power of God here. Nice isn't in Paul's vocabulary. He doesn't say that God's power is nice. He says this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, 
not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. This isn't nice power that Paul is talking about. This is the mighty resurrecting power of God, the power which raised Christ from the grave and brought him into the throne room of God, traversing from creation to heaven's throne room, being seated at the right hand of the Father in authority, power, and dominion over all things. Christ the one, empowered in sovereignty, seated and reigning above every name, authority, and power. His power is more great than any other power in heaven and earth. This isn't nice power. This is the life-changing power of God. And this power isn't reserved to him alone, but is availed to us. We are in Christ, and that which is Christ's is ours. His power towards us and available to us is the same as which raised Jesus from the grave. His power is for us in our salvation. Even those who were far off. I was so far away from God. I was arguing against God, and then God moved in my life, changed me in a moment. That is the power of God at work. Those who are far off are brought near by his power. His power is for us now, to know now, in our now and not yet lives, where we live in and out of the real power of God. One day we'll experience it, encounter it in full, but God's power is for us, to equip us and enable us to do all that he has planned for us to walk in. Let's remember, it doesn't come down to us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So as we walk humbly and obediently with God, we will see his power outworked in our lives. His power over Satan and demons is absolute. And since believers are in Christ, his power is available to us too. His power is towards us and for us. When we speak against darkness and demons, we speak with the authority of Christ. Since we speak in his name, we are in him. Let's not consider our God to be nice. Let's never demean him with such a term. Let's remember he is the mighty Lion of Judah who rules and reigns, is our great king, is almighty and all-powerful. And this power is towards you and for you. Paul finishes this passage by laying out how God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The power that is accessible to us, as I've shared so many times over the past few years, isn't for fun, but it's for a reason. And this reason is to enable us to see the kingdom advance. Paul tells us how God's going to do this. It's through Christ and through his church. Jesus' power and authority is for us so that we might proclaim him all through the world, in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities. But Jesus loves his church. Jesus rules as head of his church and he extends his kingdom through the church so that his authority fills all in all. God desires that all would be saved and he's going to reach out to all people through his church. And so this power is available and accessible to us and for us so that Christ might fill all in all his kingdom would extend and that more people would be in his glorious inheritance that is our eternal salvation. Let me invite the band to come back up.
So church, Bings House Family Church, I have three things, three key points for us this morning to think about on how we're going to apply this into our lives. We want to be those who seek the spirit of wisdom and revelation, don't we? No? Yes? <laughs> we want to be those who seek the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So, we, and we want to be those who seek to walk in the power of God, in and under the authority of Christ for the sake of the kingdom. And we want to be those who are assured um, of the authority of Christ, uh, authority of God. So we want to be, yeah, those who seek to seek the spirit of wisdom and revelation, those who seek to walk in the power of God and to live in and under the authority of Christ for the sake of the kingdom. Um, how do we do each of these? Well, firstly, let's seek to the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We pray. I don't know how your prayer life is at the moment, your one-to-one prayer life with God. You know, how are, you, are you seeking God, spirit of wisdom and revelation? So maybe set some time aside if you're struggling with that. Set some time aside, God... Give me wisdom today. Help me to know what it is you want me to do. But would you reveal yourself more to me? Help me to know you better, as Paul's prayer is for them. Let's seek to walk in the power of God. We need to recognize that God's power is toward us. It is for us. And it is for us to walk in. Regarding the authority of Christ, authority can be a scary thing sometimes, but we need to remind ourselves that if God is for us, then who can be against us? We need to remind ourselves and others around us, we're a church family, we gather um, in, our, in our life groups, and we'll be starting discipleship groups this week. Um, we need to remind ourselves, out of the love of Christ and love for others, that God is in authority in our lives and in our church, and we should be seeking to live lives that reflect this. You know, maybe, maybe the idea of, of praying um, for more wisdom and revelation is tricky for you, but you can ask those around you. You can ask your brothers and sisters, will you pray for me? Because I'm really struggling uh, to fully walk in this and to understand this. Um, you know, Paul's prayer is that they would know the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And my prayer is the same for us here in this church, is that we would know the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would walk in the power of God, and that we would live in the reality of the authority of Christ in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that it has in our lives, that it is our ultimate um, resource uh, in this world, that we can go to your word and we can see what it says, and you speak to us and you guide us through it by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that each of us would be seeking the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That every morning, maybe just for 30 seconds in the morning, Lord, would you open my eyes to what you want to do today? Would you give me your wisdom in how I handle myself and how I approach people today? And would you reveal yourself more to me as I go through today? Lord, even that simple prayer, it sets our eyes on you afresh. It opens ourselves up to understand more of you. It sets an expectation that we want to hear from you. We believe that you do speak to us. And as we do that in the morning, Lord, it changes the way we approach the day. I pray you'd help us to do that. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to walk more fully in the power of God. To know that our God is not a nice God. Our God is almighty 
all-loving, all-powerful. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to know that. Would you open the eyes of our hearts this morning to know that truth of who you are? You are not a tame, caged lion. You are mighty in power and mighty in strength. And that is the God who is for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be humble enough to recognize that it doesn't come down to us. But in our weakness, you are strong. All we have to do is turn our eyes and look to you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help each of us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to um, play in a moment, but um, I'm struck by a message like this can sometimes feel a bit too heavy, a bit too overwhelming. The reality is, if we want to walk in the power of God and know the power of God, we need to go on being filled in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. That's the way we, we live our lives as Christians, going on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I'd encourage you, if you do, um, if you're wondering how to process this, what to do about it, there's an opportunity now to come up during the worship and be prayed for, to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, that you would know the power of God so you can walk in it in the full. And Rich is down here, so I'm sure he'll be able to lead that. Thank you.